0: Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for getting up an hour earlier. <laughs> let's, uh, let's stand. We'll open our Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 3. First we'll pray, and we'll read the first ten verses. Father, we do look to you. For where else can we look? Because you alone have the words of eternal life. All that we need is found in Christ Jesus. It's found in the great love of God for us at the cross. And so, Father, we ask that you would make yourself known to us today through the preaching of your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds and our hearts to hear and to understand what our great God says to us and to understand the great love of God for us. We ask it for the glory of Christ. Amen. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-10. to 10. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we come to chapter 3 in our study of 1 John, well, the title is actually Fellowship with God, Belonging to God. And as we come now in our, really a series on the fellowship with God, as we've been in 1 John, so we come to chapter 3, there's a shift now in the text. There's a big shift in the text. John is no longer uh, giving us warnings and tests. He now begins to lay out the foundation of, of, of what it means to be a child of God, of what it means to walk into light, to know that you know that you know the Father, to know what it means to be obedient, to love your brother and to not fall sway to the Antichrist. He tells us essentially that we can maintain a consistent godly witness when our minds are stayed on the Father. All of what John has said previously, he makes this transition, he uses the word see. Small word, but a word we should not overlook. Look at what it says in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. The word that John uses here for see is not the usual word for see, which is blepo, meaning to look out with the eyes. Here John uses the word idon. It means to take special notice of something with the implication of concerning oneself to take notice of, to consider, to pay attention, to concern oneself with. It's the very same word that the disciples used when Jesus calmed the storm for them, and they said, see what manner of man is this, like take notice of this, that even the wind and the waves obey him. We cannot understate the force of what John is telling us by using this word. This is such an important word. I like what David Jackman says in his commentary about this. He says, there is an errorist imperative. What's an arrowist? A snapshot event. An imperative is a command. Look, take take a moment and take a snapshot and look at something. Look at what? Well, we'll see. He says, there is an errorist imperative at the beginning of the verse. Look, see. The force is that we need to take time to contemplate this love and allow its reality to sink down into the depths of our being. It is meant to take our breath away, to startle and amaze us, so that we are less left grasping what sort of love is this. Have you ever considered the great love of God? John says, see, observe, contemplate, look at the great love of God. Are you struggling to walk in the light? Are you struggling to love your brother? Are you struggling to have assurance of your salvation? Look to the love of God. This idea of looking and contemplating and considering, it's the very same sentiment David has in Psalm chapter 8, where he says this, When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. David, who we know was a shepherd, a lot of time outs. He was an outdoorsman looking at nature and says, look at this. What is God that he would care about me? Have you ever really thought about that? I mean, really, who are you? Who am I? In the grand scheme of things, who are you and who am I? We're nothing. We're a piece of dust. But God and his love moves towards us. All the creatures in the universe. God chose to love us, his children. John says, look, look, consider, meditate upon the great love of God. When we look at the love of God, we have to ask ourselves this question. What kind of love is this? It's what it says. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. The word again, what kind. Potopos. It literally means from what country. It's a word that they would use in the ancient days when somebody was, a ship was coming to port and they would go and they would say, "Uh, Potipos, Potipos, what country, where are they from? And when we look at the love of God, we really contemplate the love of God, it is completely foreign to us. It is foreign to humanity, it is unequaled by any creature. It literally is from another world. It is the love of heaven. How can we contemplate something that's not even of this world? It's God's special love to his children. We know the word love, agape, to love, love, affection, regard, goodwill, benevolence. With reference to God's love, it is God's I love this. It is God's Willful direction toward man. It involves God doing what he knows best is for what he knows is best for man and not necessarily what man desires. That's Zoriades in his word study. This love, we're told, comes from the Father. It is a love that is exclusive and absolutely unable to be earned. It can only be freely given and freely received. This love is from the very nature of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. God chose to love us because God is love. God chose to love us because He is love. That's David Jackman again. But what kind of love? We still haven't answered the question. What kind of love has the Father given to us? Look again at the verse, 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Man, what kind of love has the Father given to us that we should be called children of God? What did John write in his gospel? In 1 John 1, 12 to 13, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of of God. If you are a child of God, not everybody is God's child. We're all God's children in the sense that He created the world. He knit us together in our mother's womb. We're God's children in that way that He owns the cattle on a thousand hill, that He's sovereign over the universe, but not everybody is God's child. If you are truly God's child, It is not because there was something inherently desirable in you. Actually, the opposite is true. There was everything undesirable in you and in me. God's love is given by His very goodness. It is a love, as we have said, that is exclusive and unable to be earned. God did not look down in heaven and see your good looks or your bank account and go, wow, I need that person in heaven. I know what you're thinking. I wish God would look at my bank account and do something about it. That's another conversation. God's love is placed on his children solely because he has chosen to give it. End of story. Mic drop, whatever you want to put there. We in and of ourselves are unable to earn or even desire to love God. We were, as the scripture says, without hope and without God in this world. But at just the right time, at just the right time, God shed his love abroad in our hearts and adopted us as his own children. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. We were adopted into God's family. A word that is so deep. It's a word we should take note of, a word of which we should study, a word of which we should be familiar because it is the words of Scripture. The word tells us that we are were adopted by God. We were made his child. Some of you may be adopted. You understand what it means to not have a father or mother or to be rejected or have lost your mother and father and given away. I can only imagine what that would feel like. The fact is all humanity is lost. They are outside of the goodness of God. And it was God who chose to love us, to bring us into his kingdom, to make us his own. Ezekiel puts it in a very stark way. It's not going to come up, but Ezekiel says, hey, Israel, you know how I found you? I found you alone on the side of the road. Your mother had just given birth to you. She left you there in your own birth whatever that's, the placenta and all that stuff. You were covered in blood and you were were in bad shape. I came along and I picked you up and I cleaned you and I made you my own. That's what it means. God adopted us. Listen to what Paul, writing to the church in Galatia says. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. At just the right time. We heard in Sunday school this morning about at just the right time. God made us His. Because of his great love for us. Adoption is something in scriptural terms that cannot be undone. It cannot be undone. God himself cannot disown you. If God has truly adopted you, he will never say to you, Depart me. As we sing in the song, No tongue can say to me, Thence depart from me. Cannot happen. No wonder John says, you're struggling? Are you struggling in sin? Or are, are you struggling in despair and worry and the concerns of the world? No, all you need to do is look to the love of God. Look to the love of the Father. Consider the love of the Father. Do you really think that your present circumstance is going to cause God to go, ah, too big for me, I'm sorry, we're done. Our relationship's over. We hit, we, we've come to the end of the road. Cannot happen. Matter of fact, God says to us, when you have the trouble of the world, take heart. I, your Father, have overcome the world. John goes on to tell us of what our title is. You know, perhaps you were given a nickname growing up. And me even saying that, you might be saying, Oh, yeah, I, well, I did, and I wish, I, never, I wish I'd never hear that again. Maybe it was a term in endearment. Listen to what God says about you and me, if we're truly His child. Again, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What does that tell you? It is unalterable, unchangeable. What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What words of assurance that is. Not going to change. I have called you by name. This is your name. You're my child. And so you are. As we sang this morning, I am who you say I am. It is only when we realize this that contentment can come. I saw this great quote from Spurgeon last night when I was going over uh, the sermon. Uh, uh, It's amazing how God puts these things, right? When you're studying, God gives you these things. Uh, Obviously, Spurgeon does not equal to Scripture in any way, shape, or form, but boy, he's he's close, right? Um, He says this, when a man consciously realizes the love of God is in his soul, he cannot want more than that. When a man or a woman consciously realizes the love of God is in his soul, when we realize what manner of love is this that I would be called the child of God, you cannot want more than that we are truly God's child, the designation of God's child will never go away. In fact, all of eternity is given to us so that we can grow in our understanding of that title, of that term, of what it means to be declared, to be loved by God, to be God's child. John says the world doesn't understand this. Look again at what he says in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know Him, know us, is that it did not know Him. We should not be surprised that the world thinks we're strange, that we're fools, that we're idiots, that we don't know what we're talking about, that they will want to get rid of us and wipe us out. Because they didn't receive Jesus. They didn't even understand who he was. Again, John's gospel says this in 1 John 1.1. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Because God loves us, though. And because this world will reject us. Because this world does not know God, cares about God, wants to know about God, rather wants to eliminate God, a foolish endeavor that is. And in this world, I'll have troubles and tribulations. And yet, because of God's great love for me, because of God's great love for you, if you are God's child, you have what I call forward hope. A forward hope. Yes, I have hope right now. But I await a greater hope that is to come. The return of Jesus Christ. This forward hope is what helps us to fix our eyes on the eternal and not on the temporal. It is that helps us to live in the temporal while awaiting the eternal. It helps us to live in the temporal while awaiting the eternal. Look what it says in verse two, "Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be is not and, we, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. How incredible is that? We shall be like Him. Homeosis, resembling, similar. When Jesus returns... The scripture tells us he is going to give us a body like his, a glorified body. Philippians 3.21 says, Who, Jesus, when he returns, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to object all things to himself. We look at that and we say, wow, that's going to be great. You know what? I'm going to no longer have arthritis. I'm no longer going to have cancer. I'm going to, if I'm missing a limb, I'm going to have all my limbs. And we go down that road. But the, actually what he means in terms of being like Jesus, yes, those things are true. All the physical ailments will be gone. But what John is specifically saying here and what Scripture means is that we will be given a body that is able to stand in the presence of pure holiness. Be able to stand in the presence of pure holiness. It is a body without the effects of sin in any way. Without the power of sin, the proclivity to sin, all of it's gone. I will be made like him. You will be like him so that we could stand in his presence forever and ever. How great is our God. Until that time comes, and man, come Lord Jesus. May we not make it out of the building today. May the Lord come right now. Everybody should be going, amen to that, I would think, if we have this hope. Until then, God's purpose for us is to have a purified character. To have purified character. To be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. As Romans 8.29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Or as Jude would say, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. God's purpose in Christ Jesus for us on this side of heaven is that we would produce and have within ourselves a purified character. It's a process of sanctification. It's the process of making one holy and pure. It's called sanctification. If we have the hope of heaven, we will want to be found pure and blameless when it returns. We will want our clothes clean, as it were. On special events of our life. If you've been married, you probably remember standing in the mirror, in my case, Actually, in my case, I was asleep on the sofa. My brother woke me up and said, "Uh, we have to go. (laughs) There's an indication of Eileen's life. But standing there, looking at the tux, making sure, right? Nothing there, right? I'm sure you women were looking at that dress, making sure nothing was out of place. You had Becky there, making sure your makeup was perfect. Someone else doing your hair, making sure it was perfect. Because you want it to look what? Your worst? No, your best. Because you're going to meet your bride much more so for God's children calling us to live a life that is pure. Not perfect. That's heaven. We're to strive for purity here. That's what John says. Verse 3. Anyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I like what David Allen says concerning this and how we should view purity in our life. He says, you can be no more indifferent to sin than you could be indifferent to a rattlesnake in your house. Well, you know, there, believe it or not, there's actually rattlesnakes around here. It's not, a, it's not a Texas thing. What if you did find a rattlesnake in your house? What would you do? Would you make sure? Is everything you can do to get rid of that thing? Absolutely. Why? Because it's a threat. It's a danger. It could kill you. God forgive us for not viewing sin that way. God forgive us for having a view of sins even being respectable at times. Jerry Bridges in his great book, Respectable Sins, they're not respectable. We don't treat them as they should be. Christ's purpose for us is that we would be sanctified. And that means that we as children have our responsibilities. We have Christ's purpose and His children's responsibility. As we have said, Christ's purpose is for His children to get ready to meet Him when He returns. Doesn't Jesus in the the parable say, Be ready on that day. You do not know on which I'm going to come back. Make sure you're ready. Because if you're not ready, I'm going to come and go. And you're going to be out trying to buy oil. You're going to be out trying to do something. And when you finally come to me, it's going to be too late. You need to be ready when I come. Everyone who thus has this hope purifies himself. We as God's children have a responsibility to purify ourselves. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. God's purpose for His children on this side of heaven is not perfection of holiness. That cannot happen. We're to maintain a condition of purity this side of heaven. We're to have a trajectory that is towards holiness in the fear of the Lord. We have, the way what David Allen would say, a maintained condition of purity. This is what John says. Look at what he says in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is total disregard for the law. We watch that on TV when people get upset and go into the streets. Total lawlessness. Say, How can these people act like that? Maybe if we stop, maybe if I stop and thought that my rash words, my rash anger, my actions, my this, my that, It's the same thing to God. Everyone who practices makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The key word there, again, is the word practice. Do we practice sinning? Is it a habit of ours? Are we unconcerned with the sin in our lives? Look at what John says about that in verse 5. You know that He appeared in order to take away sin, and in Him there is no sin. Again, the idea of purity. He came to take away sins. Sin has been broken at the cross. The power of sin is broken in Jesus Christ. And therefore, no true child of God can possibly abide in sin. Make their home. Be comfortable with sin. Sin. That's what he says in verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Paul warns us that if we continue in a process of sin, if we continue down a road of sin, that eventually it's going to lead to what is called a seared conscience, where it just doesn't bother me anymore at all. I have no concern that I was this or that or I did this or that or I looked at this or it doesn't bother me at all. That's a scary place to be. John, with his fatherly love, warns them to not be deceived in this, to not be deceived about the seriousness of sin. He says, little children, verse 7, let no one deceive you. Whoever practises righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Interesting. He doesn't say, little children, let no one deceive you if you continue to sin. He says, whoever practiced righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. What does that mean? You ever wondered what does that mean, to be righteous as he is righteous? All along you've been told, I can't be righteous as Jesus is righteous. And that's true. To be righteous as he is righteous Means to have the mindset of obeying and pleasing the Father. That's what it means. Jesus is the only person who was able to do it perfectly. Jesus consistently said that he came only to do the will of the Father. God's true child has no desire for sin and is broken when they fall into sin. John makes it very clear on whose side the one who practices sin is on. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Oh, wow. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. you have a practice of sinning? God's word says, then you are on the side of the devil. Those are strong words, aren't they? they? should be convicting words. I don't want to be on the side of the devil. Why? The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Where were the works of the devil destroyed? At the cross. And at the resurrection. Colossians tells us, he took the legal demands that stood against us. This he nailed to the cross took it all away. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The inference there, if we're God's child, if we're truly God's child, and we have the hope of heaven and are purifying ourselves, there's no way we can be the child of the devil. It just cannot happen. And we need to be sure that if I do fall into sin, that I don't just beat myself up with guilt and over and over, I just can't, and then never get myself out of that because God says, You're not a child of the devil. Repent, confess your sins, and let's move on. He goes on to say this in verses 9 to 10 No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Okay. I don't make a practice. I can't keep a sinning. I may sin. I will sin. Doesn't mean it's okay. But I'm not going to be comfortable living there. I can't be comfortable staying there because God's seed abides in me. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. It'll be evident if we're God's child or not. It'll be evident in our conduct. John also tacks on, goes back to, it'll be evident in how we love our brother. If I don't love my brother, the people of God's church. God already told us the love of God cannot possibly be in me. What do we do with all this? What do we take from all this? Well, loved ones, are you struggling today? you have a load of care? Probably the answer is yes. Are you guilt-ridden over your sin? Are you facing what seems to be an absolutely impossible situation? Does the darkness seem to be closing in? God's Word tells us, look to the Father's love. Look to the cross and God's promises and your mourning shall be turned to joy. Not because your situation has changed, but because your thinking has changed. When we look at the Father's love for us, that He made us His children, then we will truly not consider our present sufferings worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. It is looking to the Father's love He's taking care of my sin at the cross, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's calling me home in my Father's house. There is a place for me. Got my name on it. Was there before the world was ever created. was already made for me. It's guaranteed. I'm going to go there. I'm not going to drag myself through it, but He, through the power of my Spirit, is going to get me there and between the cross, the forgiveness of sins, and heaven, I live right here. And God says, "Just look to my love. Look to what I've given you. Look to what I give. What has God given you, and what has God given me? He's given us His Holy Spirit first, to understand God's word and to apply God's word. And I think something that is so overlooked in God's love towards us is that He's given us the church." He's given of each other. How many of us, if I were to ask you and all that, can say right now, I went through something in life, something so hard, something so, I just, if it was not for the love of God, yes, we get it, but if it wasn't for my church family, I don't think I would have made it. You understand that? Don't overlook God's love and what he's given to you and to me in the body of believers, the church. Immerse yourself in the church. Be part of the church in every way. Come to as much as you possibly can. I get it. We live lives. We live in Bergen County, and it's the busiest place. I get it, all that. But maybe we need to weed out some of our busyness and become more purposeful in the process of purifying ourselves and making ourselves more and more the children of God. The old song says this, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. For me, whom him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God should die for me? Loved ones, are you looking to the cross today? Are you looking to the great love of God? Do you know the love of God today? I don't know everybody here. I know most of you. I don't know. I'm never going to assume. Do you know God today? Do you know the Father through the saving work of Jesus Christ on your behalf? Have you come to the realization that you are separate from God, lost in your sins, dead in your sins and trespasses? Do you know that? Do you want to be made alive with God through Christ Jesus? It's simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Him for the forgiveness. And He'll grant it. And then traject your life. Put your life in a pattern of seeking to honor and obey Him. Is it easy? Absolutely not. It's another reason God gave us the church. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are. Behold the great love of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you, Lord God, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. What kind of love is this? Who am I that you would even consider me? We thank you, Lord God, that you did consider us. Thank you that you've made yourself known to us. Lord, help us. Help us in this world when temptations come, that we would look to the Father's love. When burdens come, that we would look to the Father's love. When sadness comes, we would look to the Father's love. When the darkness closes in, When the valley of the shadow of death seems so intimate that we would look to the fathers of love. For there, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Oh, Lord, help us to look to your love. And help us to purify ourselves because of this hope. Waiting for the day in which you return. And on our glorified bodies, we enjoy you forever and ever. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's sing a song.
1: His love for me. Oh, His love for me. the sun sets free Oh, it's free I'm a child of God Yes, I am We are last He has, has, has ransomed ransom. His grace helped me While I was a slave to sin Jesus died for me Yes, He died for me Ooh, The Son sets free Oh, He's free indeed I'm a child of God Yes I am In my Father's house There's a place for me I'm a child of God Yes I am I am chosen, not forsaken I am who you say I am The sun sets free, always free in thee. I'm a child of God, yes I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes I, I am, am. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Ooh, the sun sets free. Always oh, free in me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I
0: am. Amen. God bless you all.